Do the Oklahoma City Thunder have the best backcourt in the NBA? We'll talk about that on today's Locked On Thunder podcast. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, we're diving into the Thunder taking over the FIBA World Cup. They are absolutely dominating the World Cup right now with their stars showing out at this event. Plus, we're going to dive into the Thunder possibly having the best backcourt in the NBA and what to expect from this Thunder team moving forward. So let's start with SGA. SGA continues to look as though he's one of, if not the best player in the world. Obviously, uh, we can debate that all day long, but he looks like one of the best players in the world right now, Um, just based upon how he's playing especially in FIBA. So many highlight plays, even just this morning alone, the coast-to-coast Eurostep ankle-breaking performance this morning. Uh, You have that game. You have um, just the unguardability of SGA, and this is translated now uh, to FIBA. And, of course, you saw it all last year in the NBA on his way to averaging 30 points per game, which was huge. Uh, what, What SGA does is so impressive. He helped will the the Canadians to a win over France, which was a formidable team uh, coming into this thing. Obviously, they flamed out, but was thought to be um, one of the better matchups for Team Canada. But eventually, despite a a tough first half, it ends up being a statement win for SGA and a statement win for Team Canada. And SGA was the best player on the floor and was the leader of this group. And in every game thus far for Team Canada, SGA has been the best player on the floor and has been the best player um, for, for, the, for the Canadians and also has been the player who makes the biggest winning impact at 25 years old. And so you're seeing why Canada, who goes 3-0 in pool play, has the ability to win it all. And so the France win was, was very impressive. But I think that their win number two, even though it was against an overmatched Lebanon team, was equally as impressive. You're coming off this high of of beating France, who at the time we thought was a really good team. Then you play Lebanon, but you don't have Lou Dort, who's resting due to soreness. You you can be overlooking this game. Could this be a trap game? But no, they didn't let any of that happen. Right out of the gate, uh, Team Canada enforced their will. They won the game, and they kind of just coasted to a win. Uh, in in game number two, and then today he was able to take care of business again. In three games, he's averaging 22 points, which you know is a bit misleading in the sense of you know he didn't have to play that much in the Lebanon game and, and score that much in Lebanon game to to get the win for Team Canada. 5.7 assists, 7.7 rebounds, 1.7 steals. He's shooting 54, 27, and 88. But he's continued to look improved, and that's what should give um, Thunder fans a lot of encouragement about this FIBA play, and about SGA. 
we've been talking about how SGA summer over summer, year over year, continues to look better, continues to develop. And then you saw last year, he went from you know, a borderline all-star, probably should have been an all-star uh, the year before, but you know, with all the narratives and voting that goes into all-star games, didn't make the all-star team, but he did have all-star level production. You go, you go from that to an immediate leap into your first all-star game and your first first team all-NBA uh, honors. You saw him take that massive leap, and, and you think maybe at 25 years old now, you know, the, the, the ceiling is hit. That's just what he is. But yet he's still improving on his game and he's still getting better um, day to day, month to month, year to year. And so he still is not quite at that ceiling yet at 25 years old. He, he looks like he has a much cleaner shot from three. It's not necessarily going in at a higher clip, but the willingness to take it and the, and the space that he can create to get the shot off uh, has looked good so far in FIBA play. He's looked like a much better playmaker. In FIBA, he's using his length and size to defend well and defended a two-way uh, clip and played a two-way clip um, in FIBA, shooting 80% at the rim, 50% on catch-and-shoot looks. Those are two areas where Shea can dominate the NBA, and he already has dominated the NBA level uh, at those two things. But in the construct of this Thunder team in this upcoming season, when you have Josh Giddey's playmaking, when you have his ability, Shea's ability to play off ball and to cut, uh, along with the, the the ball handlers and the playmakers, you're going to get the ball to. Like you're going to get this ball to Chet Holmgren. You're going to get this ball to J-Dub, this ball to Josh Giddy. Like uh, oftentimes, the, oftentimes, the ball will be in the hand of a really good decision maker and, and a really good player and connector and passer to where when Shea isn't having to create for himself, he can capitalize because he can shoot so well off the catch. He can shoot so well at the rim um, off cuts. 1.4 points per possession in transition. He did that very well last year as well in the NBA. Uh, 0.9 points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler. And the third quarter takeover continues. And that's what SGA is almost best at is his feel for the game. And he can, he can flip that switch where he's feeling out the game. He's seeing how it's going, letting the game and the defense dictate itself. And then evaluates what he needs to do. And then he goes out and does it. Like he just goes out and says, okay, this is a game where I've got to take over and uh, really, really be ball dominant and score. Uh, then he's, he can do that. He can change the game on a dime uh, and really improve your chances of winning. And defensively, along with the, the, the deflection, the steals, it's also been impressive to watch him close out on guys. It's tough for, for guys to shoot over him, obviously. And he's handled pick and roll scenarios very well defensively as well. For Team Canada, who just continues to dominate and continues to uh, to soar to wins, they're three and zero, and they're going to play again on Friday. And they're one of the most fun teams to watch at this FIBA stage. So it's good that they're going to keep on rolling and keep on, uh, you know, rolling along. Josh Giddy has been leading Team Australia, so you've gotten two of those leaders, and they both were players of the game this morning. So that was kind of fun to see the Thunder duo continue to dominate. So in his three games, he's averaging 19 points, seven assists, six rebounds for Josh Giddy, who is only 20 years old and is playing in his first FIBA World Cup and his first international play uh, because his his draft year, if you remember, he, he, he helped the Boomers prepare, but he did not play uh, in that set of games for the Boomers. But now he's actually getting to play. Some things that jump out about Josh Giddy. Number one is first and foremost, the 6.1 uh, free throw attempts per game. It is it is not necessarily the percentage that you want it to be at yet, but it's just a matter of getting to the line right now that is so impressive because he's still under two 
free throws per game. Um, you know, whenever you look at his his NBA numbers, and so that was a big challenge that Mark has talked about before about getting Josh Giddy to the line more, and that can kind of uh, take his game to to another step and to another level, which is true. And, and I think that with Josh Giddy, you're seeing him get there at FIBA, which should translate to the NBA. Uh, 22% from three, uh, not the right looks for him from three. So I'm not too concerned about it. He's had some wild misses from three, obviously. And you can put together some clips and cutups of um, so, some bad misses. But ultimately, the way he's going to shoot the three ball in the NBA uh, is so much different than what the, what the threes look like for Team Australia. Uh, he's When he shoots a three in the NBA, it's going to be off of a swing pass and, and it's going to be... Uh, him in a cleaner look and a cleaner chance and a cleaner um, opportunity to get that shot off and to take advantage of the defense and do, and to just have a better look overall. Uh, but he's shooting 45% from the floor. He had that massive poster dunk, which got everybody talking, including J dub and J will on Twitter, talking about his poster dunk. His two best dunks of his career has happened in non NBA games. Uh, this dunk. And of course that summer league dump a uh, dunk uh, last summer. It was with J dub. I think that he's continued to take a, take advantage of smaller matchups and smaller guards on him, which is going to help the improve the portfolio of the Thunder um, offensively and, and what the Thunder can achieve offensively whenever you see him uh, take advantage of smaller guards being nearly 6'9". If, if he can score like that on these straight-line drives but then also get to the rack uh, and get to the free-throw line, then that can change things for OKC. Now, there was a clunky ending to that Germany game, but he was matching bucket for bucket down the stretch of that game. Uh, and then he had the blood issue. Uh, they they tried to stop the bleeding. They did stop the bleeding. Then they called the timeout. He couldn't come back in. Whatever that all was. But down the stretch of that game, in the clutch, in the in those opportunities, he was the one matching buckets for, for Team Australia. He's shooting 68% at the rim. He is dominating in transition over a point per possession, a uh, point per possession in isolation, a point per, per possession on handoffs. He's be, he's playing really good in the pick and roll also. Uh, he's playing really good team defense. Another area that he's looked good in, cuts, 1.25 uh, points per possession on cuts. He's been excellent in pick and roll coverage defensively as well. So the, the main takeaway from Josh Giddy here has been getting to the line more at the free throw line, He's getting reps and, and he's getting chances to run the offense and to be the guy leading a team, which is huge and, and an area of development that you need live game reps to improve upon, but also that's hard to get live game reps in general. He's playing in these must win games in high pressurized environments. He's playing down the stretch of must win games where he's being asked and tasked with scoring and being the leader of a team down the stretch of a game. He's being a difference maker. And some encouraging things about Josh Giddy has been his his ability to adjust within this the construct of a single game, uh, where he'll he'll start very slow. They'll call a timeout and he'll be able to get turned back on and, and and get back uh, in the good for the for the scope of the game. And then just a unique chance to play this game this morning against Japan, where you're you're playing a must win game. You you win or go home. You've got to try to get to round two. It'd be it'd be a a, a bad disappointment for Team Australia had they not gotten to round two with what I would imagine is one of their most talented teams they've ever had uh, in Team Australia. But what does he do in that moment against the host team in Japan? He gets player of the match. He's he's the he's the best player on the floor, and he's able to get them to round two. And he, and he picks up his teammate, Patty Mills, who, who's a 
FIBA, just incredible player, a great player in general, but like a great FIBA player specifically. Uh, he had a little bit of a down game today, Patty Mills did, but Josh Giddy rises him up and, and gets this team to round two, where Patty Mills will then pick up Josh Giddy eventually. It's all going to balance out. And like that dynamic has been good to see too, because whenever Josh Giddy started out slow, what was that on Sunday morning? I believe it was uh, the, the, the their second game of the three. Patty Mills went on a, a massive spurt on of his own to, to keep Australia in that game uh, early on. Uh, whenever they ended up, they ended up did losing to, to, to Germany in that game. But still, uh, it was good to see the fact that they were staying in it because of Patty Mills. So you're seeing how they're kind of balancing each other out in the backcourt, and they're playing off of each other very well in the backcourt uh, to help each other out. One other thing about Josh Goody in these games, before we talk about the backcourt in general with these two guys combining, is that you saw the Team Australia coach just berate Josh Giddy in the first time out of the game against against Germany. And, I mean, he was just berating Josh Giddy. And I only hide this because I, I wonder if that's the kind of coaching that Josh Giddy responds to. And, and I say that because a lot of the times last year, whenever Josh Giddy would be, would be pulled from a game or not played on the stretch of games, fans in the comment section, fans on Twitter, would be freaking out about, like, why is this happening and, and why is Mark doing this? And that just might be the response. That just might be the, the coaching and the style of, of coaching that Josh responds to the best and that Josh kind of resonates with the best to help him out. So it was kind of interesting to get that insight of like, you know, Josh got his, his butt chewed out by the Australia coach. And then he comes out and plays some of his, some of his best basketball after that same timeout and gets his game completely turned around. He was a different person after that timeout. Um, in that game. So he, he's just totally different. So maybe that's just what he kind of resonates with and what he responds to. You've got to kind of know who you can and can't do that with. And obviously uh, the team Australia coach felt comfortable doing that to Josh Giddy to wake up the whole unit uh, after a very, very, very poor start against Germany. So is Josh Giddy in SGA the best backcourt in the NBA? We'll talk about that coming up, but first I want to say right now, but a good friends over at Fandle, Fandle.com slash lockdown. You can go there right now. And check it out today, folks. Fanduel.com slash locked on. Look, I, I think that Fanduel is incredible. You know that I think that they're incredible. What I think is even more incredible is this deal. This is probably the best deal I've ever seen in my in my life. You go there right now because the start of the NFL season is is so back. We're so 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 back with football in America. America's number one sports book. Go there right now, and you can get uh, a five. You know, you you bet five dollars, and you get two hundred dollars in bonus bets guaranteed. So you make a $5 bet and you get $200 in bonus bets back guaranteed. Plus all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off of NFL Sunday ticket. This is a two for one folks. You bet $5, you make a $5 bet. Not only do you get $200 in bonus bets to use at FanDuel, but you also get $100 off Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV, which allows you to watch every out of market game. So check it out today by going to Fanduel.com slash lockdown. That's Fanduel.com slash lockdown. Fanduel.com slash lockdown. It is a great app. It is easy to use, and it's the official partner of the NFL. And you will not want to miss it with the NFL season beginning this next week. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you, talking Thunder basketball folks josh giddy and sga could be the best backcourt in the nba so obviously this season that could be a bit premature to say but when you watch them play individually in fiba and you see the type of talent that these guys are and the in the nba talent wins out 
you can also see how they highlight each other when they're playing apart from each other. Like Josh Giddy, I I think that for all the talk of you know Josh Giddy, like what if he was able to run his own team and be the number one guy in his own team? For all of that talk, no matter where Josh Giddy plays, no matter what team he ever ends up on, and hopefully it's the Thunder forever, but go with me here. No matter what team he ever ends up ends up on, he's gonna have to play next to a top score to be successful, to win titles, to win games, to 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 reach the pinnacle of the NBA. He's going to have to play with a top score. And for Josh Giddy, winning to this point seems to be his biggest priority of, of everything he's ever talked about. So like for Josh Giddy, he needs a guy like Shea, no matter where he goes, and no matter, no matter what team he's on, no matter what the roster looks like, no matter if you want to classify him as a one or a two or whatever you want to classify him as, no matter what you do, Josh Giddy needs a guy to score like SGA. And SGA benefits from a playmaking guy like Josh Giddy, the playmaking that Josh brings both to alleviate pressure off SGA to get SGA easy buckets and, you know, to, to, to make up for, you know, Josh is obviously a better playmaker than Josh Giddy. That's no surprise. So like they complement each other well, and, and they are able to um, kind of play off each other well. And I think that we're still not understanding just the, the sheer lack of opportunity. These two guys have had to play together. Like Josh's rookie year. They didn't get to play together that much. You know, obviously, you know, because SGA uh, was hurt. And so, like, they're still, you know, they're still hardly, you know, have, have played together. You know, year three will be huge for them. But Josh Giddy's only 20 years old, and he's continued to improve every single year. SGA has continued to improve every single year. Neither one of these guys has topped out yet. I think that they're already a top 10 backcourt in the NBA. And the exciting part for the Thunder is that as of right now, it, it's it's literally all sunshine and rainbows. Not only have they gotten better individually, they've gotten a heck of a lot better week to week, day to day, playing together as well. Like that pairing looks a lot better than it did when it first began, as you'd expect. So they've not only progressed at an incline individually, they've progressed at an incline together. And the interesting part for OKC and the exciting part is right now, it's all sunshine and rainbows because this entire roster seems to be meticulously woven together to, to all play off of each other's strengths and weaknesses. And it's no different in that backcourt. And so I think that you're seeing the, the caliber of player they can each be as they both win player of the match uh, in, in, this, in this day and they both advance to the second round in this day of the FIBA World Cup. You are seeing just how good they can be. And so it's exciting. And it is, again, I would say that they're top five even uh, backcourts in basketball right now. So I don't think it's absurd to say by the end of next season, we can be talking about the best backcourt in the NBA. Which is quite the the jump from what was the discussion um, way back last year where you were still questioning at this time last year uh, if they could play together. But I really think that the idea of if they can play together, forgetting about where they rank uh, as backcourt mates, if they can play together, that, that discussion I think is is long gone, and I think that that was uh, that ends up being a futile one because Josh is going to need Shea to reach his ceiling, and Shea's life gets easier with Josh. So like they they can play together. That's been answered to me. Asked and answered is they can play together. Now it's a matter of how good can they be together, how successful can this run be. 
And I think that they can highlight each other and and raise each other up and and kind of bring the center team uh, to to some great heights, especially with what's around them too, of, of J-Dub and Chet. And like this Thunder team could be one of the most fun teams to watch in a very long time. Like when you just talk about what basketball fans like and, and, and when you have basketball fans write out some qualities in their teams that they, that they really enjoy watching just as a, as a neutral observer, not of their own fan of, of their own fandom team, just like in whatever they like watching basketball, this and this and this happens. The stuff that they write down is going to happen in OKC pretty frequently, night in and night out. And so right now it's all sunshine and rainbows. Now the players, of course, and the coaches and everyone has to execute and has to continue to improve and has to actually go do it. But right now when you're talking about this on paper, on paper it looks great for OKC. It looks great for Josh Giddy, SGA, and on down the line. So what do you think? Where would you put SGA and Josh Giddy? in terms of backcourts in the NBA. I have them top five. Top 10, I think, is a lock, uh, and, and they could be one as soon as the end of last year. Now, there's there's some steep competition, obviously. Like I think that Luka and Kyrie, by the end of this year, will will be talked about a lot differently than they're talked about right now. Like I think that they will be talked about um, a lot differently. They're going to look a lot better this year, in my opinion. So like I, there's going to be steep, 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 steep competition, but they could do it, Josh, Giddy, and SGA. Throughout the end of this year, Fairly soon. Let's talk the other FIBA representatives real quick, but first, take another quick timeout. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Folks, on tomorrow's show, we're doing a mailbag episode, so get your questions in on YouTube. Got a lot of questions on Twitter already. You can go there and leave more if you want to on Twitter at Ryland underscore style. So leave your questions down below. Also, the next day, we're going to be doing another Grade Your Take. So on YouTube, I didn't give you enough warning about this. I apologize for that last time, but last time it was primarily Twitter. YouTube comments, drop below your take. It can be on literally anything in the world, anything in the entire world, but obviously NBA, Thunder related is, is preferred. Just whatever take you believe in, and I'm going to grade it. If it's hot, if it's cold, what kind of take it is. We'll see uh, on the next episode. So make sure you do that as well. So let's talk about Jack White. Jack White has a lot of supporters <laughs> from the Thunder fan base and a lot of supporters from Team Australia. I think that there's two different conversations to have for Jack White. The first conversation is, what he brings to the table is absolutely what the Thunder look for and qualities that fit the Thunder. The energy he brings, the hustle, the spark plug nature of his game, but also the steadiness of his game. He's not going to try to do too much. He's not going to play outside of himself. You know what he's going to do. You can trust him. You can you can trust that he'll play his role and he will just do his job. He'll rarely get caught in a position on either side of the floor. He's a good play finisher. He's a switchable defender. You can use him on cuts in the dunker spot. Like When you talk about what Jack White is really good at, you talk about things the Thunder really prioritize. Very true. That's why the Thunder signed him. That's why the Thunder want to see him in training camp. That's why the Thunder are going to give him a shot to compete. So that is true. And if Jack White survives training camp, uh, it's not going to be a shock of, of, of why. It's more so going to be a shock of how. 
because the why is already there. You know why Jack White's in OKC. But, you know, every time I do the roster prediction, there's a lot of Jack White stands who, who don't understand you know, why I still have him on the cut list because someone has to get cut. As a matter of fact, three someones have to be cut. And the Thunder have a lot of guys who already do what I just described. Like, like the, the, the role of what I described is filled already and accounted for already by a lot of other players. And so gaining a pathway to keeping Jack White gets difficult when you factor in how redundant his skill sets are. Now, that's not a bad thing for Jack White. Those skill sets will let, let him latch on to another NBA team if my prediction comes true and he's not on this team uh, after training camp. He has a role in the NBA, and he is an NBA caliber player. It's just that when you have to find three people to let go of, and one of the one of the people you're considering has a bunch of redundant skills that you already have, well then, and of course the the, the little to no financial commitment that you're giving Jack White, it opens the door for him to be one of the guys. And you, as an organization you have already set a precedent of willing to cut guys who you just signed that same summer. It's happened before, could happen again. But as far as FIBA goes, he's played exactly like you'd expect Jack White to play. He's played bigger than he is. He's played that that uh, small ball five role uh, for, for the Boomers, and he's, and he's done it admirably. But it's not a matter of why he got signed. It's like, how do you keep him from this roster? Uh, on a lesser good note, Lou Dort. Lou Dort in six games, including exhibitions, nine points, 2.5 rebounds, really good defense, but he's shooting 20% from the three on four attempts a game. Uh, he's shooting uh, on spot-up attempts 35% and 15% on catch-and-shoot looks. He didn't improve at the rim. He's shooting 58% at the rim, which would be a career high by two percentage points. Still needs m- many improvements from this and, and still has a few gaffes in there as well at the rim, but at least we have to acknowledge that this would be a career high percentage from three uh, from the rim. I should say from Lou Dort. The issue has been that Lou Dort's been Lou Dort. Like that's been the issue. He's, he's just been Lou Dort and, 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 and there's been no massive improvement per se. And, and the, the idea could be that this is just who Lou Dort is. Now I, I've still held out hope that I think that um, Lou Dort can look a lot better. And, and when I say a lot better, can look more efficient. Because that's all that's really lacking. You love what he brings to you defensively. You love what he does on that end of the floor. There's no concerns about that end of the floor. It's offensively, how do you make him an efficient basketball player? And, and I've held out hope that, uh, you know, with a team that, that that has the depth and offensive talent that this Thunder team will have this season, you can reduce him to a corner three-point shooter where he's thrived at his whole career as a corner three-point shooter. He, that, that's been the one area where he's remained efficient in his NBA career offensively. And then you'd hope that he'd, he'd stop being one of the worst rim finishers in the NBA. And, and so outside of his rookie year, he shot 31% his rookie year on 42 attempts from the corner. Don't count his rookie year. Outside of that, he shot 46%, 44%, and 40% from the corner threes. If you, if you maintain that while cutting out above the break threes, while cutting out mid-range, and while improving a bit at the rim, plus what he brings you defensively, you get a really good basketball player. It's just a matter of, of, of can he actually do that? And will he accept that role? And I thought that we'd see that role a bit with Team Canada to this point, you know, no cigar. But he's still been good. Like he's still been a good basketball player. It's just that there's not been that huge improvement. And maybe Lou Dort is just Lou Dort. Let's talk Davis Patans. Another one 
that was Spartans has been Davis Spartans, 11 points per game, you know, an assist per game, six rebounds per game, 35% from the floor, 33% from three. The thing with Davis Spartans is it just comes down to want to. If he wants to accept this role of being someone who uh, gets spotty minutes in the NBA, but in those minutes, he's being placed on a team that can really accentuate what he does well. Uh, he can capitalize on his three-point shooting and spacing on these driving kicks and, and, and on these lineups where he's playing with a ton of playmakers. He can really capitalize on getting clean looks and improving his numbers even more so where he looks just incredible offensively and accepting a reduced role. The defense will always hold him back, always, always, always. But if you show a winning team that you're willing to accept a role of um, you know, lesser than, of, of you know, spotty minutes, but I'm going to still be ready and still capitalize whenever I get my opportunity and help you win games by playing a meaningful five to ten minutes in, in these games, when you show that to teams, they're going to want to take a chance on you and kind of revive what you do. Now, if he still has this idea that he should be playing 20, 30 minutes a night, okay, then, then it's just not going to work, plain and simply. But I'm interested to see kind of if he wants to be the next one to go through this uh, thunder car wash of, of improving guys or revitalizing guys or, or showing other contenders like what you can do. Because I, I, because I don't think that it's going to end up with a bigger role, like, like Al Horford, for example, like still got to be a big, big, big part of the Celtics, even as recently as last year. Um, it, it's not going to ever get back to that level, uh, but it can get back to like, you know, a, a, a level where now you're trusted to go to a, a contending team and they know you're not going to cause a problem about your role or fuss about minutes. And they're just going to trust you to be a guy who excels in your 10 to you know so minutes uh, to, to knock down threes. So maybe he can kind of reinvent that image about him in this season, but ultimately it's just kind of a meh storyline all the way around uh, for the thunder. Um, but nonetheless, he is playing and he is playing up to standard for Davis Bertans. So there you have it. FIBA takeover. We're talking about your mailbag questions, which we thought we could get to today, but we ran long on FIBA on tomorrow's show. Uh, until then, be good and be good to one another.